It is National Championship Game Week of the 2023 college football season. This is the We Hate Your Team podcast, a proud member of the BSN Collegiate Network. I'm Kelly Ford, and with me, as always, is my friend and co-host, Zach King. Kinger, how are we doing this week? I'm doing great, Kelly. What a weekend just had New Year's Six Bowl, specifically the college football playoff, absolutely delivering two classic mashups this weekend, Rose Bowl shattering records in viewership. We get the late night game, Washington, Texas coming down to the wire the last minute and a half when we thought that game was over with. Hey, it might have started a little bit slow Friday night. Missouri, Ohio State really didn't have much offense to it. Maybe a couple duds on the New Year's Six in regards to entertainment-wise, but everything that we got from the college football playoff delivered. It was the best couple games that I remember in the playoff the last few years, and I think uh, it set the stage beautifully for an awesome national championship game here in a few days. King, it really was an amazing couple of semifinal games, and I, I'll i be honest, I wasn't necessarily expecting us to get two great games. I kind of thought, you know, we just got two great semifinal games last year. No way we're going to get some, some really great games again this year, and sure enough, we did. So the final two years of the four-team playoff we had some great semifinal games, and I think that was really, really fun and exciting, building now towards what's going to be, of course, a great national championship game between a couple of undefeated teams. And King, to help us break down what's going to be a great national championship game, we've got a couple of guests with us here, here tonight. And we uh, last year was the first time that we ever, for a game preview, brought in two guests. It was really fun. We brought in Parker Fleming, Stats of War, to break down the TCU side, and we brought, brought in Josh, our uh, dog stats friend, to break down the Georgia side in advance of that 2022 season national championship game. Now we've got Washington and Michigan. And King, as it just so happens, we've got a couple of friends from these fan bases. Uh, you remember, King, it was about almost two years ago now. It was February 2022. We did a fun episode uh, breaking down what were the pros and cons of the various postseason formats, right? We talked four-team playoff. We talked BCS, six-team, eight-team, 16-team, I think was talked about at one point. We had Clint Daringer from uh, from Michigan. We had Andrew Percival from Washington. King, you remember that episode? Oh, I remember that episode very well, Kelly. First time having multiple guests on it, and it was a great off-season conversation, especially because we knew the the bowl transition was coming and the timing worked out perfectly. Here we are, and the four-team playoff is no longer after this year. I could not think of a more appropriate couple of guests to bring on, King, than those two here tonight. And we've actually got a special twist with it, too, which we'll get to. Those two joining us again, because as you just mentioned, it is the final ever game in the four-team playoff era. We have Andrew Percival, uh, P-Dog on Twitter, representing Washington. He's a big Stay at Four proponent, uh, the leader of the Stay at Four movement. And then on the other side, of course, is Clint. Clint's representing Michigan. He has and is a proponent of the 12-team playoff. He's going to get his wish next year, King. The question is, is he going to get his wish this year and see his Michigan Wolverines end the 14 playoff era with a national championship? Clint, we'll come to you first. Welcome back to the show. How you doing, man? Hey, guys. Thanks a lot for having me. It's, uh, it's really great to see you guys again. Great to talk to you. Big fan of the show. Um, it's good to see everybody uh, you know, directly here. And uh, I'm looking forward to the discussion here. Uh, again, like I told you guys in the, the pregame a little bit, feel a little bit surrounded. There's uh, some Big Ten <laughs> you know, uh, uh, schedule uh, foes here uh, kind of staring me down. And then you know, the future national championship opponent in here. So um, got a little bit of the, the, the Michigan versus everybody uh, uh, mentality here on the shoulder. You know, uh, Jim Harbaugh's you know, one-track mind going to have to kind of keep me focused. And, and I'll try to represent best I can. 
Clint is leaning all the way in, and I love it. Hey, Clint, you already dispatched of Kinger and my Boilermakers. You already dispatched of my Ohio State Buckeyes. You've got one test remaining. It's going to be very, very difficult. We're going to break it all down to help us do that. We've got Andrew Percival, P-Dog. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kelly. It's great to see you and Kinger. <laughs> Throwing shade at Clint already. <laughs> um. No, that's not what I meant to do. Oh man, edit that out. You got to edit that out. <laughs> no, it's 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 no, it's great, Andrew. We knew we knew exactly what you meant, and we're excited to have you back. My goodness, man, what a roller coaster it's been for Washington these past couple of years. Here you are with a chance to win a national championship, and it's not just Andrew with us tonight. We've got also with us uh, a friend of Andrew and also a friend of ours. His name is Chest. You can find him on Twitter as a Husky Fan Podcast. Chest, welcome to the show to help represent Washington. Hey, Kelly. Thanks so much for having me. And hello to everybody else out there and on the stream. Absolutely. We are so excited to have you all with us. As I talked about, we're going to break down quickly a summary of those those semifinal games in which your teams dispatched of Alabama and Texas, respectively, in what were fantastic games, uh, much to everybody's great delight. And then we're going to look forward to this national championship game. But before we do, Clint, let's come back to you. You've been on the show before. We know you. Our fans know you. But just take a few moments. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background. Why are you a Michigan fan? Just all, all of those things, uh, just to re reintroduce yourself to everyone, if you will. Yeah, so I'm a lifelong Michigan fan. Grew up in uh, Metro Detroit here. Um, first real uh, Michigan memory, I was uh, watching the Michigan-Ohio State game, the, the Desmond Howard punt return game. Strike a pose, you know. I uh, the 1991 season, I was uh, seven years old, you know. So right in the you know early kind of core memory, watching that at home with my family. So grew up a Michigan fan, uh, attended Michigan, uh, had a, the great honor of uh, being a, a student equipment manager for a couple seasons there while I was in Ann Arbor. Um, I was there for the 2003 Big Ten title season. Um, got myself a, a Big Ten championship ring with my name on it. And uh, afterward, uh, teamed up with an old uh, friend, uh, family friend, who also uh, grew up in the same neighborhood as me, and uh, started writing for uh, umgoblue.com, uh, a fan you know website, a blog, and um, started trying to kind of pair metrics and analysis and, and kind of a coaching perspective with um, you know maybe some less informed or, or less engaged in the metrics fans, you know, people that uh, like to watch football games, but don't necessarily dive all the way into the numbers. So I, I try to kind of build a, a bridge and a language of, of all of the analytics and model stuff that uh, Kelly Ford is really good at and kind of bring it to fans that, um, you know, maybe aren't as comfortable with all of the terminology, the XY graphs, uh, some of the some of the great stuff that we see in, in analytics Twitter uh, during the college football season. I love all that stuff, but I like to try to boil it down and, and and turn it into uh, kind of layman's terms for for our fans that are that are all over the country and kind of following the games uh, during Michigan season. So that's kind of how uh, how my fandom started, of course, and and kind of my role now is kind of as a contributor there at uh, umgoblue.com. And um, so that's uh, been great to be in the in the press box as a fan. Uh, you know, I took a, took a little bit of training to, to get used to sitting on your hands and not cheering, you know, to try to act professional because those, those early games in 2019, when I first got up there, I can tell you, I was, I was 
kind of chewing on my lip and, and sitting on my hands. First game I was up there was uh, Army almost upset the Wolverines in, in the big house. And uh, Army threw a pass down at the like two-yard line and got picked off by, by Michigan. And it was, it was really hard not to yelp. There was no way that I saw Army trying to throw a pass down there to have it get picked off and, and, and Michigan ends up winning that game. It was, it was bananas. So, uh, that, that's my background, my story and, and kind of how I'm trying to kind of bring all of this, the conversations here. I love, uh, following you guys and, and Kinger's betting, uh, history and story the, the ups and downs kind of along for that ride. And then Andrew and I have actually tried to connect a couple times, uh, a couple years ago when the Huskies came to the big house. Um, you know, we were, we were set to meet that day and, um, you know, it, it kind of fell through. And then this year the Huskies came to East Lansing and he was back in Michigan. And, um, uh, again, we kind of missed <laughs> ships passing in the night, missed, uh, missed the connection, but he and I are, are, I would consider him a friend, certainly, uh, somebody that I had no idea, uh, existed until we got into this analytics Twitter space. And now, uh, you know, just, just an, somebody who I'm a big fan of. And I'm excited to, to mix it up with all you guys here today and, and hopefully have a, a good time talking about this game coming up. Well, Clint, we are very excited to have you with us. And yeah, it's just college football bringing everybody together here. I'm not going to lie, man. I'm an Ohio State fan. We know this. I'm not really looking to have a Michigan Big Ten championship ring, but I'm not going to lie. To have one with your name on it, that is pretty darn cool. And yeah, you know, the college football analytics, like I love it. I'm all about the numbers. But the more we can mesh together, the numbers with the football side, the scheming, the coaching, all the more we can build that bridge, as you said, and, and create a common language, mesh that together, the better for everybody. Somebody who absolutely loves the metrics as well. Of course, that's Andrew. That's P-Dog, our friend here. So Andrew, I'll turn it over to you. Kind of same thing. Reintroduce yourself. Chest, also hop in here and introduce yourself to our listeners. But Team Washington, take it away here. Uh, hey, Cole, we've got a guy who struck a pose in 1991 as well. Uh, Mario Bailey in the in the second half of, of the Rose Bowl, that great Rose Bowl versus Michigan. But I'm, I'm Andrew Percival. Seattle, Washington, born and raised. Um, that's the source of my Husky fandom. I've uh, been a fan of the team since um, I was around six years old. One of my first memories is the exact same game, Clint, the, the 91 season, 92 Rose Bowl. Um, and uh, didn't didn't attend the University of Washington, went out and, and played some D3 baseball in the great state of Minnesota. But um, Husky football has been one of the constants um, throughout, throughout my life. Um, and in, in combination, of, of what I was doing in baseball and some of the people I was around. Um, they introduced me to, to the um, analytics behind college football and, and not so much anything player specific um, or box score parsing, none of that great work that you see a lot of people out there do more big picture team rankings. Let's stack everybody in the right order. Let's look for sources of information that do a good job of that. Let's try to, to test you know, rigorously, who does a good job of that. And, and that that's the kind of stuff that, that I'm into. So I do, um, I have a, a model called the metrics consensus, um, the purpose of which is to rank teams one to 133 and, and, and produce a spread on, on every game. Um, and um, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I approach the sport. I, I watch a lot of ball. So I like to think I know a little bit about it, but uh, certainly not, uh, not nothing, nothing like a, a coaching background. Uh, yes, hello. My name is Chess. No, that's not really my name, but it's a moniker I use. Uh, my earliest memory is probably 1990 when um, 
Uh, so I was six years old, same age as Andrew, on the floor watching Washington just totally dismantle USC, which is and it's called like all I it's the all I saw was purple game because their quarterback said all I saw was purple. It's probably the most famous Husky game ever, or it's like in the top two or top three. Uh, my family had season tickets the next couple of years, so we saw the national championship. And I've been a psycho fan ever since. I mean, it's really uh, I mean, it's like it's a it's a religious thing. It's like a cult like devotion to it. And uh, I started the podcast. I, I, I did graduate from the University of Washington. I started the podcast in 2013 uh, with uh, a buddy. And um, we were just really upset with the way uh, the local media was covering Steve Sarkeesian. And um, it, it just his his off the field behavior. Um, it, it just it, it was totally kept under wraps, but it was so obvious that like everyone around town knew what was going on. Like it was not a hidden secret and just the way that the local media would cover for this guy and act like, Oh, you know, he, he inherited an, Oh, you know, he inherited an O and 12 team and blah, 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 blah. And we should be bowing out this guy's altar. I mean, all that stuff is just um, complete BS. So that's part of why we started the podcast. Um, uh, yeah. So uh, that's uh I mean, that, that's my story. And, uh, I mean, I am a blowhard fan, but I like to think that occasionally I have some good insights that go with it. I do like the metrics a lot, but um, with respect to Washington, this definitely is a year where the qualitative uh, is really driving the bus and not the quantitative. I love it. And at our core, I mean, guys, we're all just diehard football, college football fans. Anyone listening to this got to be a diehard college football fan. Yeah, trying to bring insightful uh, takes and all of that, of course. But at the end of the day, we are all fans. King, I kind of like what happened there with Clint, Andrew, and Chess. Just talking about their their uh, path to arrival to where they are in college football. I kind of want to hear from you too, King, before we get into a recap of the semifinals. First memories of college football. I'll, I'll go first to give you a second, not put you on the spot. I do. Actually, Clint, you're going to like this. I don't know if it's because I've seen the clip so many times that like I think I remember or I actually remember. I think I actually remember one of my very first college football memories, uh, Ohio State, Michigan, 1997. Charles Woodson having the rose in his mouth, right? Like I was five years old at that time. I truly in my heart of hearts do believe I recall bits and pieces of watching that game. I remember things in the years after that, you know, big moments, national championship games, whatever it was. My first really vivid, clear, elongated memories of college football have to come in the 2002 season. I remember just about everything about most of those Ohio State games. Of course, it culminated with the national championship against Miami uh, in the Tostitos Fiesta Bowl back when the logo was super, super cool. Uh, double overtime game. That was probably the, the season that cemented college football as my or that made college football my favorite sport I say the season that cemented it was the 2007 season I would have been 15 at that time right but that season was just so incredibly awesome I said you know what I'm making a decision no other sport no matter what happens can ever top college football for me so Kinger that's kind of my earliest memories and then my most vivid ones uh kind of forming my view of college football what about you though I don't know if we've ever talked about this first memories or, or most vivid uh growing up I don't know if I've, I've shared that either. I would say the first vivid college football memory I have would be that 98 Alamo Bowl with Purdue versus Kansas State. That was the first time I remember Purdue really having national recognition on that stage. They came and won a big game versus Kansas State. 
Although Kansas State, we all know what happened that year. That was the year they thought they were going to be in the national championship. Weren't quite as motivated probably in that game. But I'd say that was the first vivid memory, the first season of Purdue that I, I actually remember tuning into the games was the Rose Bowl season in 2000 when we ended up playing Washington and losing. But that was just uh, up and down season. It started with a close loss to Notre Dame. I remember, you know, my parent, my dad all upset after the, after that loss in 2000, after the 23-21 loss. And um, that was really what hooked me. But I, I had the taste of Drew Brees in 98, you know, was starting to really develop my Purdue fandom. And then 2000 took everything to a different level. That 2000 season was certainly special, King. I wasn't even a Purdue fan at that time, but just as someone who lived in Indiana, was very, very cool to see Purdue and Drew Brees have all of that success in that Rose Bowl season. All right. We have got a lot of things that we want to get to here. And King, I would be—I think you touched on it. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention and, and reiterate, first time we ever had multiple guests on the show was when we had Clint and Andrew back in February 2022. This is the first time we've ever done five. So bear with us here. We're going to try to make this thing work. It's going to be great. King, let's take a quick look back at the semifinal games. We're going to get everybody's take. I'm going to start with you. Clint, we'll come to you next because we're going to go in chronological order of these. And then Team Washington, we're going to want to get your uh, thoughts on this first semifinal as well. King, we're going to the Rose Bowl here. It was Alabama, Michigan, 27-20. to Michigan wins it in overtime. This game had a little bit of everything. You really weren't sure who was going to win until the very end. King, what did you make of the CFP semifinal at the Rose Bowl game here on New Year's Day. I think your description of a little bit of everything is is just absolutely accurate in this one because we saw, you know, glimpses of good football, but there were a lot of mistakes, maybe some just call it bad football played throughout a lot of this game. And I mean, the biggest thing for me that I I thought going into this game, I knew that Alabama was going to be a physical football team and Michigan, they had shown dominance up until that point in that season, really outside of the Ohio State game, really had not been any close calls. That was going to be the toughest physical test that they had up until the point in the season. And I was just blown away with how well Michigan was able to handle it, specifically that defensive front. They got burned a little bit in the second half in the run game, but I don't know what was going on with Bama's offensive line, but that has to be the worst performance that I've seen from a Crimson Tide offensive line in the Nick Saban era. I mean, we're talking high school stuff, being able to snap the ball. They had four or five mishaps there. There's a freshman tackle was getting burned off the edges. And I just think those big guys in the middle, I was just impressed with the physicality of it. The offensive side of the ball as well. I mean, the, the offensive line, I think, did a good job containing Alabama. Those edge rushers were a threat. Were going to be a threat in that game. They did a good job protecting McCarthy. I think we're going to have to see a little bit better J.J. He was definitely not particularly good in that game, missed some open throws. The one play that he did have on the trick play to, to Roman Wilson, I think it was in that where he saved it and caught it. That was one of the most influential plays in this game. But, I mean, I just think the, the biggest thing I took away from that game was Michigan's physicality. And there were opportunities for them to give that game away, and they continue to overcome adversity even through all the special teams' blunders. And, uh, you know, getting that running game going, if J.J. McCarthy is, is able to take his game to the next level, play a little bit better in that national championship, I think they're going to be a really tough team to beat. Clint, let's come to you next. What did you make of your number one Michigan Wolverines dispatching of Alabama? Big, bad, machine Alabama in the Rose Bowl of all places, Clint. And then Andrew Chess, we're going to come to you next. Uh, so be on deck here. Yeah, so I, I think Kinger covered a lot of the, the main points looking back at uh, at the whole game and, and hitting the high points. If I go back, it's kind of the lead up to the game. Michigan's been in the, the college football playoffs two seasons going into their third one. You know, the first time they're overmatched against Georgia. You know, they thought maybe you have a chance pretty clearly, you know, right away you don't. And, you know, they got kind of blown off the field by, by a great Georgia team. 
going into that game against TCU, they're, they're favored, you know, and, and just felt like they played really, really poorly. Really, all three phases were, were kind of chaotic, the same way that we saw special teams uh, earlier this week. Uh, that TCU game was just bonkers in all three phases. And, and they leave, you know, they fight back. They show some, some guts to fight back and um, fall short, you know, but still felt like, man, if we had played better, we win that game. They just did not play anywhere near their best game. So then now the whole lead up to the game now is centered on, so what are you going to do different? What are you going to do different? Because, you know, it, it's got to feel differently going into this game. So they're a little less physical in their bowl prep, um, you know, a little bit more um, time to, to kind of walk through, right, the things and, and practice their physical skills. But, um J.J. McCarthy called it in the previous two seasons analysis by or paralysis by analysis, right? So, okay, saying all the right things, going to be good. First snap of the game in the Rose Bowl, J.J. McCarthy throws an interception trying to throw the ball away, right? Totally, you know, a throw that is not – he's not really under pressure. He's on the move, but just something that is totally out of character for him. Um, And you get this kind of, oh, here we go again feeling. Right. And, and it was kind of a harbinger of what was coming in the rest of that game, that it was going to be crazy and that Michigan was going to have to over, you know, play over those types of things. Now, they got very fortunate that the uh, the defender had stepped out of bounds. They end up going three and out. Uh, defense dominates on the first series against Alabama, starting to settle in kind of as a fan. Great to see them get two sacks on that first series against Jalen Milrow and then. Uh, Alabama puts the punt up in the air and freshman Samaj Morgan trying to make a play, had some space, right? Um, trying to catch the ball in the air, save some of the, the hidden yardage that happens when you let a punt uh, bounce and roll. So you can't, can't fault him for trying to get up there and make that play, but, but you got to catch the ball, and, and he doesn't. Um, you know, Sun probably plays a little bit of a factor, the, the strange starting time there for the Rose Bowl, but you, you got to catch the ball there. And quick turnover. Two plays later, Alabama's in the end zone, and, and you can't really feel too good being down 7 nothing, and, and you're feeling, oh, man, here we go again. So for the next phase of the game, for, for Michigan to kind of get the ball on offense, put together a decent drive later in the first quarter, score to get back to even, offense or defense comes out, forces another punt real quickly, the offense gets the ball back, and now you feel like, okay, you're halfway into the second quarter and you're it's a new game now okay so we've now taken pretty much the whole first half to wipe out that early mistake and now we're back to ground zero and then from that point forward i think michigan played relatively well on offense absolutely awesome on defense you know i think it was a master class type of game plan that jesse minter put together the defensive coordinator the the, the kids on the field certainly executed at a very high level and uh, they really saved the day probably three or four different spots where that defense really had to step up and clean up messes from the other two special teams and, and offensive units. And then eventually they got back to giving the ball to Blake Corum, you know, the, the leader of this team, kind of the heartbeat of this team. And he carried them late in the fourth quarter and in overtime and the defense slams the door. So uh, it really um, climbing out of a hole of their own making and uh, kind of battling through adversity and, and showing uh, just immense resilience and, and mental toughness. I, I, I really think that that Rose Bowl, you could kind of call it kind of a microcosm of the whole season for Michigan. You know, at, at times they look absolutely impenetrable and untouchable, but uh, still had to kind of overcome some hurdles and, and some of them, some problems of their own making, but they did it. And they did it by kind of coming together and leaning on each other and, and 
never flinching, right? That's the terminology that we hear here in the, in the Michigan media is um, the, the coaching staff early in the season. That was one of their halftime speeches was don't flinch, right? You're going to see some adversity, don't flinch. And um, that's, that certainly has been the on and off the field, this team and certainly the players, um, whatever's come up, they, they don't flinch. They just continue to execute. It almost felt exactly like the kind of game Michigan needed to get out of the way. And, hey, we overcame all that. Now let's just relax and go play, right, against Washington here. It kind of had that feel when it was all said and done. Nervy moments, as you talked about, but that's kind of how it felt at the end. Uh, Andrew, Chest, anything from your all's perspective as you're sitting there getting ready to go uh, go attend and watch your game uh, in, in the second semifinal, but what were your main takeaways uh, just briefly from, from the semifinal uh, for, for Michigan and Alabama? Nothing too specific. I mean, I, I, I was walking to the Superdome for a good chunk of that second half of that game, and I was catching the end on the concourse, caught the first half, um, and just have to extend my congratulations to Michigan for winning that game because I didn't think they would be. One of my North Stars as a college football fan um, is, and, I, and I'm, I'm loud about this on Twitter, is that it is very difficult to beat teams from the, the South, the Southeast, um, in huge college football games late in the year. Um, and so when, when Alabama got in, um, I was just like the rest of the people that was like, whoa, you know, not even going as to whether they deserve to. It's like, oh, boy, they're dangerous. They're really dangerous. And so um, even though the, the, the metrics, the, the team scale metrics tended to favor Michigan, um, but uh, I, I did not expect them to win that game. And, and I uh, offer my heartiest of congratulations. Outstanding win. Chest, anything from your end as you guys were preparing to uh, to go to the Superdome and watch your team? Yeah, I mean, on Michigan, I, you know, I, I haven't been following other teams as closely, but I thought Michigan would win just because they have, um, they just they have the makeup of a championship team with the intangibles uh, and experience and those types of things, and I think Alabama. Um, you know, maybe they have more talent, but just, you know, they're not as, uh, you know, consistent or maybe not as clutch. You know, they're not – they're just not quite there uh, to win a game like that. But, I mean, it it could have gone either way. I mean, I, I I felt I felt like, you know, talking to some fans, one or – you know, some said they'd rather play Alabama. Some, you know, had said they'd rather play Michigan. Um, I, I, I wanted Alabama to win. I'd rather play – Alabama just just for those reasons um but uh yeah I mean uh a coin flip game there at the end and it's, overtime is really scary I mean with with the rules and it's it's just scary because it's a coin flip anything can happen overtime is scary anything can and will happen I I don't bet college football people that listen to this podcast know that uh because I work in college athletics I feel very strongly though that overtime should not count towards spreads and over-unders like like Michigan ends up winning that game by seven points and I think it actually went over because of the points scored in overtime like if I'm a better well I guess you're really excited if it worked out for you and you're just incredibly frustrated if it didn't doesn't seem fair to me but hey that's the way it goes that's the risk you take when you bet that's why they call it betting I suppose uh Kinger speaking of betting that was just the first college football semifinal game. Of course, we had one more, and it was fantastic as well. That was the CFP semifinal. 
at the Sugar Bowl, a game that uh, Andrew and Chess both attended. We're going to come to them next. We're going to get their their thoughts on that game that they were at in person. But I want to go to you first, Kinger. What were your takeaways watching uh, Texas and Washington in the Sugar Bowl? Well, my main takeaway from that game, Kelly, is that Michael Penix made himself a lot of money. I mean, and that was just the takeaway from all of this, how good he was, how good that Washington offensive line played in that game versus that very good front seven of the Texas Longhorns. That defensive line did an awesome job neutralizing Washington's ability to run the ball. Yes, they did end up having a little bit of a running back injury in that one, but the, the run game for Washington really struggled. I said in the preview last week, Washington is not a team that minds if you're trying to take away the run, right? They don't, they got no problem slinging it around with Penix in that wide receiving crew. And they just showed that they were, they were the premier unit in that game. I was, again, the, the biggest, how that offensive line was able to hold up, no sacks in that one, the accuracy by Penix, top five, I think post passing yards. I don't know if it was Sugar Bowl history or if it was the New Year's Six Bowl history, but just an awesome game. I mean, just in his, his, his receiving crew with Adunze and, and Jalen Polk. I mean, you can't say enough about that offense. Defense, you know, they, they did have a little bit of a lull there in that third quarter. Texas offense was able to get some things going. I'm worried a little bit about that Washington defense stopping the run versus the Wolverines this week, over six yards per carry in that game uh, versus Texas on, on Monday night. But, I mean, Washington deserved to win that game. I don't think it should have been as close as it was at the end. I think that injury uh, that injury timeout really cost the, the Huskies some significant time in that one. So I was definitely rooting for Washington to hold on in that one. Uh, they outplayed them, and uh, it's just going to be a fun matchup. You can never count out Kalen DeBoer with that offense, Michael Penix, what they can do. There's so much talent on the field, and, and they deserve to be in the national championship, and we're, we're in for a real good one. Not surprised you're rooting for Washington King. You're, you're a Big Ten homer, right? We're talking about a Big Ten team here now, aren't we? Exactly. Uh, no, <laughs> exactly. I, I think I, I think that's a it's a it's a storyline that I don't think is getting enough attention, which is kind of hard to believe, or maybe I'm just not paying attention to the right places. This is the final year of the Pac-12 as we know it. It makes me incredibly sad. I think it makes everybody on this incredibly sad. I know it makes Andrew and Chest incredibly sad, and we're coming to them next. It would be so poetic, and and Clint, I, I know, take it for what it is. It would be very poetic if the final game that a Pac-12 football team played, at least in the composition that we know it. Oregon State and Washington State say they're going to continue on with the Pac-12 name, and uh, good luck to them. I certainly hope it works. I don't want to see that conference die. Whatever they need to do to make it work, let's do it. But the final game as we know it for the Pac-12, if they could win a national championship, that would certainly be something. Before it's, we already that, poet, it's already poetic enough, Kelly, that it's the first time we don't have an SEC team in the national championship. That's I think that's pretty great in itself. The first time they've been on an SEC team in that championship since it's the in the playoff era. Not true. 2014, Ohio State, Oregon. That's a, so, uh, so that was year two. Okay. Uh, Kinger. Kinger, uh, you, can't, you can't come at me with the Ohio State trivia here. Yeah, that's what happens when you don't look stats up. You just think about it and think that's accurate. Then you just throw out fake information. <laughs> no, so it, it is, I think that you're right. I think the first time since the first year of the playoffs. So we're bookending, right? We're bookending the four-team CFP era with no SEC team participating in the national championship game. I guess there is some symmetry and and, and poetic, uh, not justice, but poetry to that. Before we get to the national championship game, though, let's first get to Andrew and Chess to talk about that Sugar Bowl. Guys, you were there. Tell us about it. What was it like? How did it go? Obviously, your throats or your, your heart's in your throat uh, as it's all going down at the end. But just tell us, you know, how was your experience? How was the game? What were your takeaways? And then, Clint, we're going to come to you next uh, to get your uh, feedback on the semifinal. Well, it, it was basically a road game. Um, I, I didn't know 
I, I knew that there'd be more Texas fans than Washington fans going in. I mean, I think we all got on the plane knowing that to be the case, but I was a little taken aback at just how big that gap was once we got in there. Walking around New Orleans, it didn't feel like it, um, but um, it was probably 75-25 Texas. So um, right, right, right away, you kind of feel that. Um, and um, then the game starts out similar to a to the to the Pac-12 title game with a, with a real great drive um, to to start for Washington, and then you, you settle down a little bit, and then um, the 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 fumbled punt. Uh, we had a similar thing happen in the Sugar Bowl, Clint, um, and so um, that uh, you know had me concerned. But um, you know the the, the whole game um, to me, it, I was just impressed that it just felt like whatever. Texas brought Washington had an answer and Michael Penix played a phenomenal game. Um, I haven't watched the replay, but I, there were a few snaps where I was watching um, their, their sweat, the defensive tackle that got a lot of hype throughout that game. Um, and I just tried to watch him the whole play. Um, and, it, and it felt like um, they did a great job with him um, the whole game. Other people have, have more, more to say on that, but uh, I, and then we, we can get, get to the end in a second, but I mean, Yeah, I mean that. I that's the first thing I was thinking of the which which was Andrew's first response. It was basically a road game. Um, it, I would say like eighty percent of a road game because I mean their, their fans weren't. I mean it wasn't a hundred percent, but I mean their fans were pretty loud at times. Um, I, I I wasn't really surprised by anything in the game. I mean I I felt that we would win. I mean there there was a I mean clearly had the better quarterback, clearly had the better coach. Um, I mean, K- Kalen DeBoer is is really incredible. I mean, he might be the best coach in the country, but I mean, we you know that that's that's uh, you know a side comment that maybe we can explore later. Um, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I had a good amount of com- confidence that we would win the game. I, I had no concern. All this talk that like, oh, their defensive line and our offensive line is not going to hold up. I mean, I I just I had no no concern at all. Um, Obviously, I mean, Penix's performance, maybe a hair better than I expected um, because normally he has at least one interception, so he didn't throw any interceptions. But um, this team under DeBoer has always, and Penix as well, they always play their best in the big games, you know, in the most important games and in the most important moments. Um, So it wasn't – it wasn't that uh, that surprising to me. I mean, I did tell Andrew I thought there was like a small chance that we could blow him out, and that's kind of been the story of some of these games. I mean, the the the, uh, the Pac-12 championship game, even a little bit the first game with Oregon, because in the third quarter I think we got ahead by eleven or twelve and we had the ball, um, and so you know you saw that in the Pac-12 championship game we were ahead by fourteen. You know, we kicked the field goal before halftime, but you know, we really should have scored a touchdown there. And in this game, you know, we were ahead, I think 34, 21 in the fourth quarter had the ball and, you know, obviously not good enough to score a, a touchdown there and really end it. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, uh, I'm, you know, I'm glad, glad we won and it worked out there at the end because I mean, Texas had a real good chance to steal it, but that's, I mean, our, our defense, uh, is really clutch. And in the last two years at the end of games, I, I think our defense, um, has only given up a lead, maybe one or like the both those Oregon games. They took the lead briefly, um, in in early in the fourth quarter. Like other than that, our defense has never given up a lead in the fourth quarter. 
Um, so it's, I mean, yeah, generally it, it the game wasn't a huge surprise. I, I settled down a little bit once uh, Washington forced that first fumble and it evened up the turnovers because you're, you're just thinking, it's like, okay, this is such a tough game to win. You are not going to win it with special teams mistakes like that. So once, once they knocked that ball out down on around about their own 25, Texas was moving. Um, that, uh, that, that was huge. Turnovers every single time you want to turn a game around, you start getting turnovers and yeah, the special teams miscues in both games, as, as everyone's talked about, very surprising from teams that by and large have been pretty darn good on special teams throughout the year. Clint, let's come to you. Any, any takeaways or uh, thoughts on the semifinal game at the sugar bowl between Texas and your opponent here in the national championship game, the Washington Huskies. Yeah. So for, for me, it was kind of flipped um, in the aftermath of the Michigan game, right? I'm kind of, uh, kind of in a fog, kind of in a buzz, still trying to settle down the whole family and the kids running around. Um, fielding a lot of text messaging, phone calls, right through the through the first half of the Sugar Bowl. Um, so I'm kind of keeping an eye on the score. Saw the saw the muff punt. It's like, oh no, because I I was plain and simple rooting for Washington. You know, first of all, again, I feel kind of connected to the program. Always always kind of liked Washington. Feel connected, uh, you know, to to Andrew as a kind of a a Twitter, you know, uh, uh, comrade here and, and uh, a, a digital friend here across the across the border. So it was easy for me to root for Washington, but also uh, I didn't want to go to play Texas in Houston for exactly what these guys are talking about. Texas fans travel, but to you know traveling to Houston isn't going to be all that difficult. So um, if if from from that standpoint, from a Michigan uh, standpoint, definitely rooting for Washington. So I was kind of frustrated through the first half, just kind of keeping an eye on it. It felt like Washington should have been winning by two scores, maybe three. Right? They were certainly outplaying Texas through that first half and it gets to halftime tied, I think. And it was, it just felt like wrong, felt incorrect. <laughs> so um, kind of settled in, uh, in the second half, watched a lot more of the details. Uh, really, you know, I don't want to get too much into the crazy ending. I'll, I'll let you guys talk more about that. I think from, from the emotion standpoint, I think there was some, some pretty iffy calls right to where you could could have uh, you know burned a lot more clock and, and and made it a little easier on yourselves there down the stretch but um you know definitely the, that defense having the clutch gene uh on the last series was was really cool to see um and, and what stood out for me i think from an x's and o's or from an execution standpoint is i mean Penix is, is really great really amazing he's got kind of a, a stone cold killer gene we knew that from when he was in indiana in the big 10 Right, he's not sneaking up on anybody in Ann Arbor for sure. You know, we, we know that guy very well and have a lot of respect for him and his abilities. Um, but the receivers, you know, we know they're good. Again, I wasn't surprised to see how good they are, but just how fluid they are, not only in their route running, but catching the football. They catch the football, stay in stride, tucked and gone. There's very little herky jerky motion with these guys, this receiving core for Washington. And that's what really jumps out to me above and beyond even the high expectations I would have for that unit is that the Washington receivers, especially Rome, Adunze, um, they catch the ball in stride so fluid that they can be gone in a flash. And that's why Washington can put points up in, in a hurry. And, uh, you know, 430 yards from Penix, those receivers, um, it, it was a fun game to watch uh, against Texas. And, you know, Michigan's defense has their work cut out for them, no doubt. 
Let's do what Clint said. Let's come back to the Washington crew here. Just final wrap-up thoughts. Take us through, uh, Andrew and Chess, the final three minutes, just as fans. Not even, I mean, break it down if you want, but just as fans in the building, you are sitting there, standing there, probably more more likely the, the correct term there. You're standing there cheering, yelling, screaming, praying that your team can make it to their first de facto national championship game uh, in, in your program's history, right? And so what is your mindset in that moment as, let's see, three minutes left, you know, Washington's winning the game, 34-28. Uh, Washington kicks a field goal to go up then by by nine. Have to kick off. Texas drives down the field. They kick a field goal. You're getting the ball back. Then you have to give it back. Just walk us through the emotion of what that was because you guys were in the building. Like you, you're, you're the lucky ones. You were there experiencing it in live time, feeling that environment. As you might expect, it was it was terrifying. It was it was nerve wracking. I, I told my mom before I came down here that um, I'm I'm a mature enough grown adult fan to handle a wide range of outcomes, wins and losses. But the one thing that could happen that would be really, really tough to handle is some sort of victory from the jaws of, uh, or defeat from the jaws of victory. And um, had a similar feel to the Pac-12 title game where they scored very late in the game to make it a two possession. So at that point, you're grabbing your your buddies and, and really, you think you have it. Um, and um, and, and sure enough, in, in Las Vegas, Oregon scores um, instantly and on, on a big play, on kind of a sloppy big play. Um, and um, then in, in with, with this situation, it was a little bit different. I mean, and every fan's been there where they do the whole, you know, run, run, run thing, but then when they run it into the wall on third and seven, punt it away, and then the other team marches, they don't like that either. So um, it, it's, it's kind of like um, – you know, some some aggression out of the Washington um, play callers in, in that situation is the, the Oregon State game. They sealed the Oregon State game um, with with a pass when a lot of a lot of us want them to run it. But uh, the 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 shocker was um, the just the clock. I did not. I'll, I'll be the first to admit I did not know that clock rule. When when I'm I'm thinking I'm doing the math in my head a couple plays ahead. I'm saying okay, we're gonna probably punt it away. Um, with about 16 seconds left to go. Um, and then um, the injury happened and I'm thinking, okay, they'll, they'll, they'll clean up the field. Then, then, then we'll get, we'll, we'll wind this thing. And, and, you know, it is what it is. And um, I still, I mean, I still haven't even read up on, on just what all, what all, what all that was. But once, once we're putting that ball away with, what was it about 50 seconds left as opposed to the 15 or 16 that you thought you had, um, it was just sheer, sheer terror. And then, you know, you, you, as a, as a fan who's watched a few games, you prepare yourself for some yards. Cause you know, the, the cliche, the prevent prevents you like, no, it's like they, they do it because it doesn't help you. It helps you close out games. You, you can, you can let them gain some big, you know, some big plays here and there. You just can't get beat over the top. But uh, just when they got down there, they, the, the really big one, they hit the big one on kind of that, that, um, you know, pass to the, to the sideline. Um, I forget if that was worthy or someone else. Um, and then at that point, then it was just sheer, sheer terror. Sheer terror. That is how we can describe how we feel at the end of college football games as fans of our biggest teams in the biggest moments. King, I feel sheer terror when I go to my closet and I don't have a new Ohio state thing to wear. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Wait a minute. My buddy King, he knows what I need to do. King, help me out. What can I do? What can all of us do to get the gear of our favorite team? 
you know where to go, Kelly. That would be Home Field Apparel. It's the same promotion that we've been running all year long. For first-time buyers using code Variety Sports, get 15% off. I know they got some great new Michigan gear here as well, some recent national championship gear for the Texas Longhorn Volleyball team. I know we are a college football podcast, but I'm just throwing out some of the new gear for all different fan bases. Friends, family might be interested in some different things. The season's coming to a close, but it's still not too late to take advantage of that. Again, 15% off using code Variety Sports. Go check out Home Field Apparel. All right, guys, let's do it. We've been talking for a long time. We've been building this thing up. King and I are very, very excited to break down this game with each of you. It is the national championship game. It's at NRG Stadium in Houston, Texas. It is between the number one Michigan Wolverines, four and a half point favorites against the number two Washington Huskies. This game at time of recording has an over under of 55 and a half. The winner of this game will join 2022 Georgia. 2019 LSU and 2018 Clemson as the only 15 and 0 national champions of the college football playoff era. Michigan is seeking its first national championship since 1997 and its first outright title since 1948. While Washington is seeking the program's first outright national championship, having shared the title in 1991 with Miami Clint. We, we, we like to let our guests go first when we're breaking down these biggest games. So we're going to let the guests go first here. Clint, you're the number one seed. You are the big dogs here. You are the four and a half point favorites. Sorry, I shouldn't have said big dogs. That actually would be would be Washington. You guys are the favorites in this game, though. We're going to start with you. You earned that by being the number one team. So Clint, take it away. Break down this game for us. Take as much or little time as you need. Any angle you want. Let's hear it. How is Michigan going to win the national championship? Or are they, I should say? I, I think Michigan will win. Uh, I'll start with that. You know, I'm not going to try to create any, any type of cliffhanger. I, I, I don't know that anybody would have expected anything different from any fan, but certainly, you know, not, not for me <clears throat> with Michigan involved. Um, so I, I think, first of all, um, you know, they say uh, styles make fights, right? And, and this is one of the more interesting of the once the four team playoff was set, certainly one of the more interesting uh, style matchups with. Uh, Washington, you know, really kind of a very near an air raid offense with Kalen DeBoer um, and uh, Mike, Michael Penix, his history, his story, his narrative. I think there's similarities there with um, even what Chess talked about with some of the intangibles and, and, and being really player led, uh, uh, a lot of experience uh, in the locker rooms on both teams. Um, but in terms of breaking down the game, um, Michigan was built for the last three seasons to beat one team, Kelly, and it was to beat Ohio State. Jim Harbaugh had to get the huge Buckeye gorilla off of his back starting in 2021, and that team in 2021 was tasked with turning it around, and it started there in Ann Arbor. And that Ohio State team in particular reminds me very much of this Washington team or vice versa. You know, C.J. Stroud with Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba and Marvin uh, Harrison Jr. Uh, and Travion Henderson. This team, Michigan, this program was built to counteract that high-flying offense, not not to stop them. Right? It, it's it's kind of a, a Michael Jordan defense kind of rules. You're not going to stop them. You can only hope to contain them. So this defensive scheme, I I believe that they'll they'll be capable of slowing down the Michigan or the, the Washington offense enough 
uh, very similar to some of the game narratives that we've seen the last three years in the Michigan-Ohio State game. So that's kind of a, a home base for me, at least in terms of analysis. There's a strong similarity there, um, and I think there's way more similarity than difference. When Michigan has the ball, um, I, I can tell you right now on, on Michigan's schedule, I, I typically like to go to the to the SP Plus model. I know you guys had Bill Connolly on uh, just a few weeks ago, another great episode, and, and we all have kind of the same uh, level of respect for, for the work that Bill Connolly does. Uh, I like that model because it's easier for me to explain kind of what the different terminology, like I said, to, to fans are. But I will tell you, Michigan has played <clears throat> on their schedule um, the number two defense, Ohio State, the number three defense, Iowa, the number four defense, Penn State, the number six defense, Nebraska, and the number eight defense, Alabama, right? Michigan is, is perfectly capable and, and very comfortable against some of the best defenses in the nation, regardless of difference in style or, uh, you know, man, zone coverage, big front, fast front four down linemen, three down linemen, variable, multiple, all that kind of stuff. Michigan has seen it all at a high level, and they have a very deep uh, bag of tricks within their running attack. These are simple plays run from many, many complex variations, uh, formations, shifts, and, and motions, right? So um, I think right now I think the Huskies are 44th in the SP Plus model on defense. That's very close to the Michigan State 45th ranked SP plus defense. Michigan beat that Michigan State team 49 to nothing. And and Andrew can tell you about that game. He was in the stands too. So um, they did score on, uh, on on defense there in that game. So not all of the offense put up those points, but I think Michigan's going to be able to score in the 30s. And I think they're going to be trying to keep Washington at that 30 point ceiling. Again, for me, this feels exactly like how Jim Harbaugh's program was built to beat Ryan Day's Ohio State team. Score in the mid-30s, keep them somewhere around 30, and, and win the game by, by about a score. And, and that's what I expect to see. That's really good stuff there, Clint. Uh, hard to disagree with much. I even like to give guests a hard time when they say they use a different rating system than the K4 ratings. I'm like, come on, man, use K4 ratings. Hey, you're using SP Plus. Like, dude, I still use SP Plus when I'm looking at things. So, yeah, no fault there to use Bill Connolly's SP Plus. I will tell you, my numbers do agree with what Bills are saying there in terms of the defenses faced so far this year for that Michigan offense. I will also say, though, Clint, if you just want to put this feather in, in the K4 rating cap, Still my number one team. Bill's got Georgia now up there at number one. Uh, I've, st I've still got the Wolverines up there, and that's despite the seven-point deduction I do as an Ohio State fan. I'm kidding. I'm kidding for everyone listening. I don't do that. Andrew knows all too well. Andrew, let's come to you next. You and Chest, give it to us here. How? What's the path to victory here? How does Washington get it done? And at the end of the day, do you guys think you will be national champions here in the, in the college football year 2023? The path to victory is shredding them in the air with the best player on the field, Michael Penix, um, and, and that terrific core of receivers. And um, everything that Clint said hits hard um, and, and is, is spot on. I, I agree. I've watched a lot of Michigan this year and, and been extremely impressed as, as they've just dominated the metrics consensus model this year. They're the number one team in the metrics consensus. Uh, and, and the K four ratings are one ninth of the metrics consensus, uh, B Bill Connolly, SP plus also one ninth of it. So these are good systems 
And they all see not only an edge to Michigan, but a, but a pretty significant edge to Michigan. And so um, as, a, as a fan, as kind of a, uh, a very um, rooted to, to those types of, of, of bases, it's really hard to get me to go away from that. But that being said, uh, the metrics consensus had Oregon minus eight in the Pac-12 title game. It had Texas minus five in the Sugar Bowl. Um, and so I think in combination of, of that and, and what I've seen with my eyes and how Michael Penix, even after a, a fantastic season, he's, he's, he's leveled it up um, in these last couple of games. And so um, I, I see a, uh, a, a Washington victory somewhere in the, na- in the, in the neighborhood of 31-28. Um, yeah, I, I think it's almost a coin flip game. Um, the one thing I would quibble with uh, what Clint said is I, I prefer FEI. Than, than S&P Plus, um, FEI, um, the Husky defense is number 27. And we thought that, you know, to make the playoff, it would probably need to be 30 or 35th, um, top 25 to win the national championship. And I, I mean, I've been following that for six or seven years. And I just think it, it correlates better because it's, I think it's based on per drive efficiency. So it's more based on scoring, whereas S&P Plus is based on yards. And, you know, all these conventional, uh, rating systems, which I do like, um, and you know the spread of of games is based on that. If you look at the last two years, there's been five games where Washington has played a top twenty team on the road uh, or at a neutral site, and and we're five and zero with an average uh, outperforming the spread um, by ten points. And in those games, we've actually had a bigger lead than the result. Um, so. Yeah, but I but that being said, I I do have some concern. Michigan will definitely be able to run the ball. They're going to be able to pound away against us. So it's going to be, um, you know, how much can they do that? I mean, we have had some games where our run defense performed really well, like the Pac-12 championship game. Incredible run defense that game. This game not so good. Um, but I I do think on the other side of the ball, we're hearing the same thing that like oh Washington, this team has a great D line and they haven't. You know, they haven't seen that. I mean, obviously, Michigan, it's the best D line that we've played all year. But this offensive line is absolutely incredible. It's the best line in the country. There's no doubt about that. Um, and, you know, all the time, to- and, and even though Texas, you know, they got some pressure, but zero sacks. I mean, they didn't do anything. There's two tackles on this line that are basically NFL guys. They're going to be very high draft picks. Uh, the guys in the middle of the line are really good. I mean, Michigan might. You know, they might be able to get some pressure there, but I just I don't see them slowing down um, the uh, panics in the Washington offense. I mean, they're not going to score 40 points, but I think if the Husky off, if we can get to probably 30 or 31 points, Washington will probably win the game. And I think what's interesting is, um, you know, the game could it could become more of a high scoring game and that kind of pulls into a game. That's more Washington style of play. So I think, um, I think that you know Michigan might get kind of pulled into um, that kind of a game. And, and the other thing is Michigan has not their uh, defense has not seen anything like Penix in this offense. I mean, looking at the the teams that they have played, like the Washington offense and Penix, and and just everything that we have on off, it, it's at another level. I mean. With that being said, I'm not saying we're going to shred that uh, defense, but they're not going to hold us to like 20 points. I mean, it's just a question of can they hold Washington to 24 points? 
you know, 26 points, or is Washington going to get 31 or 34 points? I mean, if Washington gets over 30 points, I think Washington will win the game. So Clint and thinks Michigan might have a chance here. Uh, Team Washington thinks Washington's going to have a chance here. No surprises. One thing, Chest, I will say, you said you're you're one uh, quibble with with Clint using SP plus, and you you prefer FEI guys. That's six of one, half a dozen of the other. You're talking about Bill Connolly, Brian Fermo. I mean, these are the gold standards of college football predictive analytics. So I absolutely love that we've got um, that we've got one taking each side of those because I think putting those two together uh, is just about as good as you can get, Kinger. Let's come to you. We, we got we to gotta break some ties here because we got the Michigan lean. We got the Washington lean. You and I, we don't have a horse in this race, if you will. Uh, both of these future Big Ten teams, it's our conference. It's the one that we follow most closely. These are the two teams, King. They, de- they deserve to be here. These two teams are undefeated on the year. They've gone through incredibly difficult schedules. They perform at a very high level week in and week out. It's hard to argue that this is not the national championship game that we as neutral college football fans deserve this year so break it down for me who do you like here and uh, and how do they get it done well Kelly you're exactly right neutral I don't know if you call me neutral in that Rose Bowl game because I definitely had some ulterior motives there but I'm, I'm with you 100 and, and these guys provided or broke down some really good stuff here in regards to you know the way that they see the game and I really don't have a whole ton to add to a lot of it I think Clint said it he said it great with talking about the styles and how they make the matchup in this game Michigan very balanced team utilize that run game open up the play action and vertical attack and then Washington they're just going to sling it around you know that why wouldn't you if you've got a guy like Michael Penix in that wide receiver room and I've been on the Washington Huskies in their past two games the, the two biggest games of the season for them but I am a little bit hesitant to this one if I am being honest and you guys talked about that Michigan run game. I, th- I think that's really where we see a massive advantage for the Wolverines in this one. Talked about the over six yards per carry allowed versus Texas. There still seems to be some holes within that front seven. Texas had plenty of opportunities in that game to run the football. The Michigan offensive line, even without Zach Zinter, I think they held up very well versus that solid front seven of Alabama like I talked about. And Braylon Trice, he was a game wrecker in that Sugar Bowl. And I think he's a guy that's going to have to perform once again. He's going to have to be on that same level. That running back combination for Michigan is really good. We, we know how good Corm and Edwards are. The, the ability for Washington to create some pressure or turnover, too, if you are the Huskies, I think that's going to be key for them to win this game. The Huskies not been great at forcing turnovers this year. Michigan's done a really good job of keeping taking care of the football this year. I think that's an area where Washington's going to have to exploit if they want to win this game. But I also agree with Chess a lot. This is far and away the most dynamic passing offense that the Wolverines have faced this year. You know, sorry, Ohio State's your Buckeyes, Kelly, but I think Washington is on a different level. Michigan has not faced anything like that this year. And the Michigan secondary, I think it's fair to say the defense played a very good game, but there were some plays within that Michigan secondary. Mike Sanders still, I don't think they played as good or clean a game versus Alabama as you would have liked, specifically with some of those tackling. I think if if the Alabama offensive line had given Milrow a little bit more time, there were some open shots down the field. So I think that is an area that Washington should be able to move the ball. I think that Washington offensive line proved everything that they needed to in that game versus Texas. You talk about Defondre Sweat, how good that front seven is. I don't really see a whole lot that's going to tell me that even though as good as Michigan defensive line is, I don't think that it, 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 if you're a Washington fan, you have to be that worried. I think they've proven they can give Penix the time he needs, and when he does get that time, he can pick a defense apart no matter how good this Michigan defense is. So I have rode with Washington. This is the biggest game of the season, the national championship, and I think what it comes down to is I do trust Michael Penix more than I trust J.J. McCarthy, but I think Michigan is the more complete team here. I said last week Michigan was who I wanted to win the national championship. I wanted Washington to beat 
Texas in the Sugar Bowl as we approach the national championship, I would say my feelings have skewed slightly to more neutral. I don't really care who wins this game. I'm going to be happy for either program. You get a traditional Big Ten program like Michigan getting their first championship since the 90s, and you got a school like Washington who's really done something special and spectacular these last couple of years under Kalen DeBoer with Michael Penix rebuilding this program. So my official pick to win the game is going to be the Michigan Wolverines. I'm leaning towards taking Washington with the cover, but no bet has been placed yet. And I will say, Kelly, I got to rerun the numbers, but I think I have dragged myself back to one game under 500 on my gambling this year. I think if I hit the national championship, we'll be a beautifully, perfectly average gambler this year at 50%. So big stakes on the line for me. Don't know which route I'm going yet, but I am going to take the Wolverines to, to hoist the trophy on Monday night. King, I absolutely love that. That is great news. If that would indeed put you right there at even, uh, maybe let's consider the FCS National Championship game. we got South Dakota State. I think they're like a 12-and-a-half-point favorite against Montana Grizz. I'll tell you what, man, South Dakota State, that's a top 25 power-rated FBS team, and they're playing in the FCS. My numbers like them by about 17 in that one. So if you're looking for some FCS action, King, to maybe put yourself over that 50%, take it for what it's worth. The FCS light model certainly not nearly as robust as the FBS model. But still, uh, South Dakota State, that is just a really, really good team. King, you said you didn't really care who wins this game. You're, you're kind of neutral. Um, I'm just going to come right out and, and say what people probably already know. I'm going to give you my analysis. I'm going to break it down on my numbers, and those are objective and neutral. Guys, I'm an Ohio State fan. I'm looking at you, Clint, right now. and We only post the audio, but we, we, we can see each other on video to record to help facilitate the conversation. I'm sorry. And I don't know if Michigan fans feel this way when Ohio State's in this game, but like that's your rival. And I'm not rooting for you. I don't care if you're a Big Ten team or you haven't won it in a long time or you got your 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 favorite son leading. Like I don't care. I am not rooting for Michigan. I'm coming out and saying that now so all the Michigan fans can turn it off or, or skip forward. I'll give you an objective analysis, but I very much care who wins this game, and I certainly hope it is Washington. Because I just I can't live with myself having to look at Michigan and say, yeah, they're the national champions. That's just not the world I want to be. It's bad enough they keep beating the Buckeyes year in and year out. That's driving me crazy enough. If they if they get this national championship trophy too, oh man, I, I might just need a minute to cry, dude. All right, I'm gonna break this game down here. I'm gonna do it a little bit differently than I have on previous games here, since we only have the one. I went a little bit more in depth. I'll go side of the ball by side of the ball here. So first matchup I'm looking at the Michigan defense against the Washington offense. And I'm starting here because this is strength versus strength. We know exactly what we're getting. So for my unit ranks here, this Michigan defense was projected number three in the preseason and never ranked any lower than that. They come into this game number one and have held the top spot on the defensive side of the ball for me since week 10. Similarly, the Washington offense was always going to be the strength of this Kalen DeBoer team. And they entered the year projected as the number seven unit in the country. Similar to that Michigan D, it only got better from there for the Washington offense. The Huskies, O, currently number five. They have maintained a top five national ranking since week two. Based strictly on that, you think Michigan might have an ever so slight advantage, but with the way that college football is played now, elite offense beats elite defense more times than not. So I'm actually going to give the nod here to UW, despite a worse ordinal ranking. Their raw ratings, which I don't publish, maybe in the future, those are pretty darn close. But just the way that college football is played and officiated now, if you've got good offense, it beats good defense now more times than not. I'm going to take the Washington offense on that side of the ball. Per my power ratings, 
both of these units, that would be the Michigan D and the Washington O, both of these units just faced their toughest tests of the 2023 season in the semifinals in that Alabama offense and the Texas defense, respectively. Both of those units, though, that these teams just faced, they pale in comparisons to the ones that they are getting ready to go up against. The Michigan defense, for as dominant as it has been all year, has not faced a top 10 offense this season. That changes now. The Washington offense, for as dominant as it has been this year, has not faced a top five defense all season. That changes now. Michael Penix Jr. and the wide receivers are the headliners for sure. But Dylan Johnson is important. And I know, you know, the, you know, the injury that he sustained ends up almost costing uh, Washington the opportunity to win that game based on the time that, that Texas had left, as Andrew talked about earlier. The reports are he's going to play. I wouldn't expect the reports to say anything less. Of course you want to say he's going to play. That means he's going to be in pads. How effective is he going to be when he plays that game? Because while he's not the focal point, he's very, very important. I hope from a Washington standpoint, he's able to go. If he's not, that's a big edge to Michigan. As for those receivers, and King, you talked about it. Hey, man, you're not wrong. Like Michigan's not going to be scared. They've already faced Marvin Harrison Jr., but this Husky team, they will attack in more diverse ways than the Buckeyes did in November, and they have more weapons. You might say, you know, person for person in the skill positions, maybe that Ohio State offense you can make a case is up there with Washington, but it doesn't matter because that quarterback, that's Michael Penix Jr., he's the difference maker. He's the one slinging the rock. That is what Michigan needs to be concerned about in this one. On the other side, the Michigan offense and the Washington defense, it might not be strength versus strength, but this is the matchup that actually intrigues me more, guys, and that's because there's more uncertainty here. I think this game will be won or lost on this side of the ball. First, for the unit ranks, the Michigan offense, it's number nine for me. That's two spots lower than it was pre-semifinal, and the lowest this unit has been ranked since week five. The Washington defense, they've held steady at number 40. This unit, they projected number 50 in the preseason. They quickly rose into the top 25, but they dropped after that bye, and they've been dropping consistently. They settled into that number 40-ish range for about the final third of the year. Strictly based on these, Michigan has a pretty significant advantage on this side. But while the Michigan offense usually doesn't make mistakes, they were uncharacteristically poor against Alabama, hence the two-spot fall in the unit rankings. I don't know how much Michigan is going to throw the ball in this game, but they need to play better all around if they're going to win. If they play exactly as they did against Alabama, I don't think that'll be enough to beat Washington because on the other side of the ball, as I already talked about, that Washington offense, they're going to be better than the Bama offense was in the semifinal. For the Washington defense, on paper, and Chess kind of talked about this a little bit, on paper, this is by far the worst unit in the game. But this has been the worst unit in each of Washington's past two games, and they've risen to the occasion both times, as Chess talked about. I was worried about this secondary against both the Oregon and Texas receivers. And Clint, nothing against Michigan's receiving core here, but I don't think the Wolverines are drastically better, if at all, than either of those two groups. And the Husky secondary held up. If the pass rush can get to McCarthy, I think this side of the ball can be much more evenly matched than the number nine versus number 40 unit ranks suggest. So I'll wrap it up here with making a case for each of these two teams to win. I'll save the pick till the very, very end. The case for Michigan to win. It's pretty simple, actually. Michigan is my number one power rated team overall. They have been there since week eight. This is the best power rated Michigan team of all time, Clint per my historical ratings, the Wolverines really don't have a weakness and they have the highest floor of any team in college football. I've said that for really the second half of the season. Now we came pretty close to seeing them play at that floor level against Alabama 
and Michigan still found a way to win that game. If they just play their game and don't beat themselves over the course of 60 plus, if we go to overtime minutes, they're more than likely going to have been the better football team on both sides of the ball against just about everybody. And that includes Washington. It's pretty simple for Michigan. Play your game. Don't beat yourself. And just trust that over the course of 60 minutes, you're going to wear them down and you're going to end up winning out because of the talent, discipline, and skill that you possess. Not that Washington doesn't, but Michigan, from a power rating standpoint, just on a slightly, slightly different level. The case for Washington here, the underdog in this team, this team's number 11 in my power ratings. Uh, They're up two spots following the semifinal game. This is their best ranking since week eight. I posted about this because somebody asked, so if Washington wins, would they be the, quote, worst power-rated national champion like ever by your numbers, Kelly? And so I I went back and looked at the historical data set. We're making an assumption here that Washington's power rating would not improve if they won this game. In all likelihood, Washington's power rating would improve if they won this game. It would take a lot for Washington to win and their power rating not improve. Like Michigan would really have to lay a stinker here or they have to get some real turnover luck. Um, Just weird plays that I don't expect is going to decide this game. Let's assume Washington's power rating did not change. This would be the, quote, worst power rated team in my data set, meaning their raw rating to win a national championship since 1974 USC. Been a long time. That number 11 ordinal rank, this would be the worst power ranked, again, ordinal ranking team to win a national championship since 1950 Oklahoma. So we are, if Washington does win, from a power rating standpoint, we are approaching kind of uncharted waters, waters that we haven't seen in a long time. Now, TCU could have tested it last year. We know how that final game ended for them. Guys, some teams, they just defy the model. And Washington just might be one of those teams. I had the Huskies with less than a 50% pregame win expectancy in four games this year. Two of them were pickums, but it was less than 50% pregame in four. 48% win expectancy versus Oregon in week seven. Of course, Washington gets it done. 49% at USC in week 10. Washington gets it done. Both those games are pickums. These are the two, though, these most recent two 28% win expectancy versus Oregon in the Pac 12 championship game. My numbers, uh, Andrew said that model, uh, the metrics consensus had it as Oregon minus eight. I was Oregon minus eight and a half. I'll note that was still better than the Vegas line, but certainly did not think that Washington was going to win that game. The, the most recent game, 35% chance uh, to beat Texas in the CFP semifinal. My model made that Texas minus five and a half, I want to say. Um, I think the Vegas line was minus five, so missed that one. Um, Washington, though, they won all these games. The Huskies are 8-0 and in one possession games. They've won 10 straight by 10 points or less. They've done it over and over and over again this year. Chess, you said you could have seen a path where Michigan blew out um, Texas in the, in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, not me. Like I, I thought they might sneak out another win here. Not sneak out. They might win another close one because that's what they do. I'm looking at their schedule. That's not their MO. Washington does not blow teams out. I don't expect if they win this one, it'll be in a blowout. This Washington team, guys, they just win over and over. All it takes for them to win is one more performance where the Huskies do just enough. It almost feels like they play to the level of their competition, whether it's good or bad. It's like, hey, we're going to do this thing. And by the end of it, we're just going to have a couple more points than you. And at the end of the day, that's enough every single week. Not to mention, Kalen DeBoer is now 104 and 11 as a college football head coach. He is 25 and 2 at Washington. I will say, pick against him and pick against this team at your own risk. Guys, that was a lot. That was a monologue there. I want to open it back up and then we'll go around the horn too uh, to get final picks, predictions, and all that just for the record. But I'll open it back up because a lot was just said by myself, by King, by everybody. Any reaction or rebuttals, if you will, to any of the comments that were made? Clint, you came off mute. We'll go to you. 
Yeah, so for me, there's a lot of, uh, I would say, rebuttals there. I mean, first for, for Chess, you know, Michigan, to say that Michigan's not going to hold this Washington team into the 20s um, is just some recency bias. You know, Kelly mentioned this is a team in Washington that tends to play to their opponent. You know, somehow Arizona State held Washington to 15 points. Somehow Oregon State held Washington 22 points. Somehow Washington State held this team to 24 points. So maybe the number one defense in the country by many different ranking systems, metric systems, raw stats, eyeball tests, a lot of different folks would put uh, the Michigan Wolverines on top of their defensive rankings, including uh, one of the offensive linemen from Alabama in his post-game interview. So, um it's certainly possible to hold this team in the twenties. Um, and again, Michigan has not seen an offense like this this year, but Mike McDonald, who right now is uh, uh, on the rise in the NFL ranks in Baltimore, the defensive coordinator designed this defense in Ann Arbor to beat the team that looked a lot like this Washington team with CJ Stroud and three or four, really, really dangerous weapons on the outside and a great running game and a great offensive line. And for me, again, I, I'm not saying that I would say that it's going to be a, a blanking or that the, the defense is going to do what they did to Ohio State in 21 or what they did to Ohio State in 22. But again, if they keep them under 30, I do agree with one thing that Chess said. I think this is a race to, to 30. Michigan and Washington are racing to 30 and this both teams might go over it, but I think the first one to get there probably wins. And uh, if they're both over 30, then whoever has the ball last probably wins because these teams are built with, you know, with, with steel in their gut, so to speak, where whoever's got the ball, I highly, highly expect them to go execute whichever offense that it is. My other point here is kind of a rebuttal to what we heard in terms of keeping Washington's offense in check is remember all the way back in the offseason when we were talking about all the boring things about college football, they changed the clock rules, right? The clock runs and runs and runs until you get to the last four minutes in the first half and at the end of the game. There is one team that has no problem being boring and just running the ball and shrinking the game and letting the clock run and run and run. We saw this when Michigan executed on offense in the Rose Bowl just this week against Alabama. When they had those three touchdown scoring drives, 10 plays, eight plays, 10 plays against a defense much, much better than this Washington Huskies defense. If Michigan is scoring, it's going to be like that. I don't think that they want to take the top off of this Huskies defense. They want to punch you in the mouth for 10, 12, 13, 14 plays because that keeps Mr. Penix on the sideline. And there's one head coach that has no problem doing that and the best example from a michigan standpoint where he had to stand up and kind of defend himself to the michigan fan base was game number two in 2021 when the washington huskies came to ann arbor and they had some lockdown corners on the outside and a defensive-minded coach and this guy just handed the ball off over and over and over again and michigan fans were screaming michigan twitter was blowing up about how they didn't trust their quarterback. They weren't going to be able to pass when it mattered. How are we ever going to beat Ohio State with this game plan? You're not going to be able to just slam the ball up the gut over and over and over again. 
So this Huskies team is not that Huskies team. That's not the comparison I'm making. But Jim Harbaugh is still Jim Harbaugh. Sharon Moore is still Sharon Moore. They will slam the ball into the middle of that defense over and over and over again. And that is just about two things. Body blows against this Washington Huskies defense. We'll see how good they are in the fourth quarter. And let Mr. Penix sit over there on the sideline and figure out how they're going to take the top off of our defense, right, while we're going to keep both of our safeties back and try to stop your, your, your running game with a hobbled running back with maybe the best defensive front outside of Texas. I think Texas defensive line uh, probably has a little bit of an edge on Michigan, but you're not stepping back much this week when, when the defensive line for Michigan comes into town. So those are my rebuttals kind of wrapped up on all of this. Uh, again, I, I, I'm not saying that it's a sure thing by any means. I, I'm not trying to overstep my bounds or get out in front of my skis, but this defense is absolutely capable of keeping Washington under 30 because you're going to get two fewer possessions than you're used to seeing in a normal, normal college football game. And Clint, just to be clear, Michigan is your pick to win this game. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, if that wasn't clear, Michigan is Michigan's okay. going to win the game. I think Michigan gets to 31st, and I think they hold – Washington under 30. I'll, I'll say 31-24. There we go. 31-24. Uh, Andrew, Chest, any final comments, rebuttals, if you will, to any of the comments that were made by anyone here? And then also just for the official record, uh, your picks for the game. Um, yeah, Clint, uh, nice, nice, nicely summed up. We've been watching Jim Harbaugh um, from back in the Stanford days do exactly what you just described. We've seen it before. Um, and then there was that, that second half of the Penn State game where Michigan knowingly traded the opportunity to put up a few more points and win by more for just, you know, running that, running that clock out and, 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 and getting that victory. So, um, yeah, hundred percent. Um, and, and Kelly, um, your teeing up just the, the metrics insanity that the Washington team in general in recent weeks represents something much bigger. I mean, I, I spot on because I've been dealing it with it myself. Um, and and I, I did just check that if you were to put Washington and Michigan against each other on a neutral field in the metrics consensus, um, the week of the conference championship weekend, it'd be Michigan minus 11. If it was this past weekend, it'd be Michigan minus 10.5. And now the official metrics consensus pick is Michigan minus 9.3. So that gives me a little bit of hope that we're gaining. Washington's gaining on them. Um, but um, no, I, I Kelly, I, I embrace um, just how difficult it can be to get past um, something like that. Because we're talking nine point three. I mean, what was what was what was K four at around around ten? For, for yeah, for for this yeah. week right now. But I, I round to the nearest half point. I am right. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll get to yeah, what mine yeah, is yeah. actually it's, at the end. I, I, I know for I'm sure very it's going to be a big number. I know that. And so um, I, I honestly, like, my, my eyes have, have told me that, that this offense in particular is special, that the defense is better than it's been given credit for. Um, and um, But my my head uh, respects the heck out of all of these sources of information. And so um, – I really, I, I got nothing. That's my, that's my long way of saying I, I have, I have nothing, but I, I'm basically giving up uh, trying to, trying to pick, uh, you know, Washington because the, these last two games, like the, like my, the metric consensus actually was 12 for 12 picking straight up winners. 
uh, for Washington this year and had them upsetting Oregon State as a two and a half point favorite. So I've been pushing it as, as, as folks have been critiquing all year. I'm like, hey, the model the models picked every game right. It's just that, um, you know, Oregon has just just been so sensational the second half of the year. But we, we saw what happened there. And then um, Vegas reacted a little quicker to the Pac-12 title game to get it down to minus four. The metrics model, you know, mine was at minus five. Others were, were around there. Um, you said five and a half for, for K Ford. So um, it's like, um, yeah, I, I, this, this, I, this is a tough one. I'm, I'm, I'm giving up. I, I have I, my official pick is Washington 31, Michigan 28. Yeah, I mean, in regards to um, what I said was that there's no way that Michigan's going to hold Washington under 20 points. Like I, I mean, if what I, if they hold Washington to probably below 27 points, I think they're probably going to win. But if Washington gets to 31, Washington will win. And I just go back to, I mean, Michigan has not faced an offense. Um, they haven't faced an offense like this, this year. Uh, the, the guys that are coming in uh, on Monday, they just haven't seen that. And I mean, look at, you know, look at where Texas's offense was ranked. Look at where Oregon's offense was ranked. And uh, I admit, yeah, I mean, Michigan's physicality, they definitely will have an advantage. Um, but Washington's physicality has been underplayed and underrated the entire year. And, and Washington in general has been underrated the entire year by basically everybody outside of Washington. Um, so, um, and I, I mean, I, I like our chances with Penix. I, mean, I think Jim Harbaugh, he's an incredible program builder. I mean, I, I told Andrew he's probably the best football coach in the in the world, just in general. But I mean, I, I think I think DeBoer has a chance to outcoach him this game because DeBoer is just guy is just an incredible game manager. Um, and I, you know, I, I think he's gonna have something up his sleeve or, you know, take some risks that might pay off. Uh, but I mean, I like I I do think it's a I think it's a coin flip game. I mean, if you look at again, if you look at how Washington against top twenty teams the last two years, um, five times they've really outperformed. They've outperformed the spread by ten points in those games. So I I think I but I, I like I said I do think it's like a coin flip game. It's probably going to be really close the entire game, and and we're not gonna you know it'll be it'll be a coin flip at the end basically. So, Chess, UW is the pick, though, officially from your end. Uh yes, I'll lean that way with the uh, you know with with Michael Penix, who's a god, and and Kalen DeBoer, who if he wins this game, then he is a god as well. You got it, Kinger. I'll come to you. Any final comment, rebuttal, and or the final pick here? No, nothing really to add here. I think we've done a, a really good job covering this game from all angles here. As I said, I think Michigan is the more complete football team. My heart tells me to take them, but there is something about this Washington team. All these things that, that Andrew and Chester have said here, they almost feel like a team of destiny. And a lot of people have counted them out week out, week in and week out. They found a way to win these games coming into this, obviously undefeated. I don't think there's any way that they're not at the right there at the end of this. I'm going to take Michigan 31-28, so a little bit of a flip compared to uh, Chess at 31-28 Washington or Andrews at 31-28 Washington, so I'll go ahead and flip that score. But this is going to be a good football game, and I think Kalen DeBoer is going to have the guys prepared, and Michigan is, is going to take another punch in the mouth, and are they going to be able to overcome that adversity and ex exhume or extort their physical dominance on Washington? I think that's the difference, but Warren for a treat. I, I can't wait to watch this one on Monday night. 
We are in for a treat, King. You said it earlier. It's the biggest game of the year. There's no two ways about that. Uh, Andrew, to answer your question directly here, um, the model picked Michigan and Texas in the semifinal games. My gut told me Alabama and Washington. Those are straight up. So we split one and one there. Now the model makes Michigan minus nine and a half. So very, very close to Andrew's minus uh, or 9.3. That equates to a 75% win expectancy for the Wolverines. Guys, my gut is telling me Washington, both of these teams, they just have that something special feeling about them. Bottom line, officially here, I think Michigan probably covers the Vegas spread, which is four and a half, but not mine, which is nine and a half, and wins by somewhere around a touchdown. I think Clint uh, Clint said that earlier too. Uh, I'm going to say, though, my official pick, Kinger, you might have noticed, you uh, you blew past me in the Bowl Mania Pick'em competition I've got my 43-pointer left here, Kinger. I had to go for the Hail Mary last year. I took TCU with the big bucks. That didn't end well. I'm taking Washington in the pick because I got to beat King. If I don't beat King, like, what am I doing? I can't just go with him. I can't let you sweep it either, so you got to make the move. You don't want to go. Got to go with it. So the model does say Michigan minus a half. Nine, nine and a half, excuse me. I'm going to go with Washington in the pick'em competition. Please do not confuse what the model is saying versus what my pick is. I've just given the rationale. That's what it is. But, guys, either way, it's going to be a fantastic national championship game. This is the first time we've ever had five individuals on this podcast. This was so much fun. I want to give you all a chance to plug everything you want to plug, shout out anything you want to shout out. So, Clint, again, you're our number one seed. We're going to start with you. Just please, thanks for joining us again uh, for the second time. Jo- uh, tell everybody, where can they find you on Twitter? Where can they find you at, at the at the website? Just anything you want to plug, go for it. Yeah, my, my football stuff, commentary, uh, numbers, everything that I create personally is on Twitter or X at Clint underscore Derringer uh, on Twitter. You can find umgoblue.com. Search umgoblue podcast anywhere you get your podcasts uh we do a preview and a recap for michigan games uh throughout the season we just recorded our preview pod if uh that'll go up tonight so if anybody is interested in checking out the intro um or or seeing what uh phil and i talk about then that's a good one to start with and we'll have a recap after regardless of who wins um you know the the website umgoblue.com our motto is uh by fans and for fans you know we, we don't try to pretend that we are uh, pundits or, or members of the media. I don't try to pretend like I'm uh, uh, an analytics guru like Kay Ford and like Andrew, but uh, I, I really love following this stuff. And I like pulling the, the information and, and the wealth of knowledge that's out there. And people are producing all of this free information, sharing it widely uh, through a really great community, both on the gambling side like Kinger and, and the analytics side. Um, I try to pull all that together and, and make it make sense for people like my kids and my wife and my, my family who know football and like to watch football, but don't necessarily want to get stuck in the clouds with some of that stuff. So um, they get a little bit of insight and, uh, and and we have fun with it. So please check us out, umgoblue.com. And uh, I really appreciate you guys having me back. Always, uh, I'll always be here to, to represent my, my side. And uh, I want to clarify one thing you said right at the beginning, uh, Kelly, you know, the, the expansion model had not been decided when we had that initial episode here a couple of years ago. Uh, I, so I, I'm going to put a, I'm going to put the initial W on my column here as I'm surrounded by foes and, uh, and say that I, I kind of told you so. And, and also I'll give you a future. I told you so here, it's going to be better than you guys think there are problems. 
we are losing some some stuff here with the 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 four team model going away however the 12 team model is going to surprise you guys how much you guys end up liking it next year in 2024 so i'll say this uh it'll ring true with some of the michigan fans and uh maybe some of the uh expansionists and and some of the other guys that you guys think you know be careful who you make the villain be careful who you make the villain well clint Go Blue, he says. Thank you, Clint. This was great. I was getting ready to thank you and tell everyone to go check out your work and all that. And then you had to go, Andrew, he's still calling it a W, the expansion, because I take that W. He still thinks it's a win. Clint, I I will say, in all seriousness, I never contended, and I don't want to go down this whole road, I never contended that I would not like a 12-team playoff, that that I would not enjoy a 12-team playoff. I very much think I'm going to enjoy those college football games because I love college football games what we're giving up, what you alluded to, because we are giving up some things. I just didn't think what we were giving up, which is the sanctity of the regular season, which if you now want to throw in my face with what happened to Florida State, I will absolutely wear. I still believe the committee made a wrong decision. The process itself, like like the, the actual regular season itself was not flawed. The decision that was made after the process was completed was very flawed in my opinion. But either way, I, I never, I don't believe, contended whether uh, on air or not that I was not going to enjoy these games. I, I certainly will enjoy them. I'm just not quite sure. Actually, I am sure. I don't think what we're giving up to get there is worth it. But that that was a whole thing we already hashed out. Let's get Andrew. We're, we're coming over to you. And Chess, we want to get you as well. Plug everything you want to plug. We really appreciate, Andrew, you coming back on uh, the podcast. And Chess, you making your debut here with us. We appreciate it. Plug away. You can find my stuff on Twitter. I'm at, at pdog206, P-D-A-W-G-206. And um, I do want to, yeah, yeah, an hour and a half in, we're not going big on state four, but I do want to just thank um, all of you for having me on here and also thank Clint for having some of the, the most conscientious and, and persuasive um, dissenting opinions on that whole um, factor and something that you just put in our private chat. I hope I'm, I hope it's okay airing it out here in our in our, in our uh, Zoom chat here is that um, league expansion killed the 14 playoff. Not um, you know you know not not that that made it different. Um, and so, but uh, regardless, what that whole conversation taught me about all of you is how much you love college football, how much we all love college football. So um, props to Clint. Um, and I'll let Chess plug his his Twitter. Well, if you want to listen to insights from a blowhard fan on Washington, you, you can look up Husky Fan Podcast. I'm at at Husky Fan, P-O-D-B-D-T-W. Awesome. Well, Andrew, Chess, thank you guys so much for representing the Washington side of this. This was such a great conversation. Clint, Andrew, Chess, we really appreciate you guys coming on. Uh, We had a lot to talk about, and we certainly talked about it. To all the listeners, if you are still with us, we very, very much appreciate you. It's been such a fun 2023 college football season. Kinger and I will be back next week. We'll break down the national championship game, a much shorter episode, I imagine, at that time. But until next time, enjoy the national championship game of the 2023 college football season. This has been yet another edition of We Hate Your Team, a proud member of the VSN Collegiate Network.